Wild Lives by Phonographic. Hey, I'm Rochelle, and welcome to Wild Lives by Phonographic. Today, I'm introducing you to the legendary big cat expert, Derek Joubert. As a wildlife lover, you already know Derek's work quite well. He and his partner, the award-winning photographer Beverly Joubert, have spent the past three decades making more than 25 wildlife films for National Geographic. Their work includes everything from The Last Lions to Soul of the Elephant, Big Cat Odyssey and The Eye of the Leopard and so many others. In fact, their films have won a stack of awards, including eight Emmys and a Peabody, and they've published 11 books, a squillion magazine articles and research papers, and they've been part of several game-changing initiatives, including the Big Cats Initiative, which currently helps protect big cats in 27 different countries. They also work with Rhinos Without Borders, which moves rhinos out of the poaching danger zones. Also, they've worked with the Maasai Olympics, Now, this is a project designed to stop the killing of lions by encouraging Maasai warriors to channel their competitive energy into sports. Derek and Beverly's most recent film, which is called Tribe vs. Pride, explores the Maasai's complex relationship with lions and how the game has changed recently thanks to the Maasai Olympics. Now, all of Derek's incredible work over the years has given him a unique perspective on the life of lions, so we're thrilled to have him with us today. Hey Derek, thanks so much for joining us. Over the years, you and Beverly have produced some incredible films about Africa's wildlife, which has brought you into close contact with some very memorable lions. Are there any individuals that stand out to you? Ah uh, yes, thanks for sure. Yeah, we, uh, we have spent a lot of time with lions. In fact, I often joke that uh, we spent more time with lions than we did with our families growing up in university school. Uh, so I actually know lions better than I do my mother. Um, one of the lions is Nasirian, one of the lionesses from the recent film that we've done on the Maasai called Tribe vs. Pride. Mm. Uh, we spent quite a lot of time with her. She was gentle, just beautiful lioness. We spent a good amount of time with uh, leopards as well. But more recently as well, we've been working with a pride of lions in the Salinda Reserve in Botswana. Mm. And I'll, I'll tell you about them a little later. What's your happiest memory of filming lions? Ah, interesting. Well, maybe now it's the time. <laughs> um, we've had some fantastic times with them, you know. And the, one of the things that I remember actually on this recent film um, coming out called Birth of the Pride later in the year, uh, we followed the Cylinder Pride and there were these two females They had six cubs and they got to this water crossing. Uh, they wanted to follow buffalo. Uh, but the cubs are tiny, they're about three months old, three and a half months old, and so the two females try to coax everybody into the water to swim across. And uh, what actually happened is that four went across, but two just decided not to cross. Mm. So the females took the four across and then swam back for the two, but they still went going. The mm. and crocodiles were starting to come in. Um, and then finally, the females had to leave the two on the bank with us, and go across to the others. Then they had a running with elephants, so the females came back again. And this went back and forth for about seven or eight hours initially, and finally the females gave up and they just the back of the two cubs on our side and went off with the four. And so we spent the night. It was terrifying. We didn't know whether we should intervene or not. But then finally at dawn, the two females came back, picked up the two cubs, made them swim, and the family was reunited. And I think it's those those moments of 
of personal stories. These animals are characters, you know, they've got personalities. And I could just see the the torment that that these two females had to go through and trying to knock that Sophie's choice, which which of the cubs to save, which to abandon. Would have been incredible to see. I'm sure you caught a lot of that on film, which will be in your upcoming doco, right? Yeah, we did. You know, we got it all on film, actually, and it went on the entire day and whole night of it, too. And so uh, it's going to be coming out on National Geographic uh, called Birth of the Pride later on in the year in the Big Cat Week. Lions are the most social of all the big cats, with their family groups, or prides, consisting of around 15 members. Although they sleep for up to 20 hours each day, their bodies are designed for action. The males can weigh up to 250 kilos, they can clock speeds of 80 kilometres per hour, and they can leap as far as 11 metres. And their impressive roars and calls can be heard 8 kilometres away. Although lions once roamed across Africa, Asia and Europe, Today, the only place you'll find them outside of Africa is in India, inside the Sassangur National Park in the state of Gujarat. Today, the African lion is classified as vulnerable. 50 years ago, an estimated 450,000 lions lived across Africa. 20 years ago, there were 200,000. Today, there are less than 20,000 left in the wild. The hunting of lions and habitat loss, as well as poaching for the so-called medicinal market, has seen their numbers plummet. Today, experts say that unless action is taken right now, these iconic big cats are facing extinction. Well, the heartbreaking fact is, though, that we've lost 90% of the world's lions. How has this even happened? Kenya's lions and the local Maasai people have been engaged in a fierce battle for the past 600 years. The Maasai believe one of their greatest duties on Earth is to watch over all the planet's cattle and to protect them. Lions, on the other hand, don't discriminate between wild prey and domesticated cattle, which has brought them into direct conflict with the Maasai. Traditionally, the Maasai killed any lion that came into contact with their cattle. 
It was a matter of honour and a rite of passage for the young warrior that marked their journey from boy to man. They'd risk their lives to take down the lion alongside their Maasai brothers, using nothing but their wits, stamina and spears. But with the dramatic decline in lion numbers came the need for drastic action. And in 2008, the Maasai elders proposed a different form of ritual. The Maasai Olympics were founded. Today, the young men who would have once hunted lions are now competing against each other in athletic events, which include running, jumping and throwing spears. The same skills that were once used to kill are now put to the test in the quest for medals. These games have been a triumph for lions and locals alike. And in their recent film, Tribe vs Pride, Derek and Beverly reveal how it's all unfolded. In your latest film, The Tribe vs Pride, we see how traditional attitudes towards lions have actually started to change in recent years. Can you tell us a little bit about how the Maasai Olympics came to exist? Yeah, yeah, that's a great thing, actually. It's uh, one of the greatest things about this gathering of Maasai around the field and track event, basically the Maasai Olympics, is that it was their idea. Mm. So we were talking to the elders about... Uh, what can be done about, about this uh, lion-man conflict. And uh, there's this sort of undercurrent that young Maasai warriors still want to go out and kill lions because it proves a whole lot of things for them. It's the testosterone-driven, it makes them attractive to, to the woman in the village and all sorts of things. It's uh, the deep traditions around us. Mm. And uh, I remember the moment one Maasai warrior, uh, elder actually, sorry, stood up and said, well, what is what do other young men around the world do? And we started talking about sport and field and track, and he said, well, why don't we start the Maasai Olympics here? And that's how it was born. And it's had an enormous effect. It really has. And uh, it influences, you know, a good number of thousands of Maasai. And I'm delighted by the progress. It's amazing. In fact, 80% of Maasai warriors now say that because the Olympics are here, they don't need to or want to kill lions anymore. It's just an incredible result. Do you think, though, that the other 20% will soon come around to that way of thinking? Well, it is interesting because the, the 80% of warriors that we interviewed have responded very, very positively. And what's so interesting, we also see it on the ground. So... When we started this, they were killing lions at about a rate of about 40 a year. Mm. And uh, now that's gone down to one line every four years. Um, but what we've done within the Maasai Olympics, again, with our guidance of the elders, is that they've said link this all to lions um, and lion conservation. And so there's this wonderful undercurrent that's happening where we, even the guys that, that go out and, and try to, maybe from that 20%, try to kill lions now are stopped wow. by the 80%. And so, you know, you can only affect change with peer pressure. And so we're very hopeful that the 80% will eventually weigh in, and, and this will be 100% by quite soon. Hmm, amazing. This year, the Maasai Olympic finals will actually be held on December 15. What kind of events will be held during the Games? It's a full range of events. So there's a 500-meter run. There's a slightly longer one than that. There's 200 meters, 100 meters. So there are all these running races. And, of course, the Maasai are famous for being able to run. And so are Kenyans. Mm. They're famous for being able to run massive distances. And they win world events, you know, Olympics everywhere, Commonwealth Games and so on. 
then there's a, a thing called a rungu, which is a stick with a, with a big knob on the end of it that they use for self-defense, which they walk into lines, for example. Mm. And so this rungu event is basically throwing this, this knob to stick at a, at a target of about 75 meters away. And then the big crowd gatherer is, is the final event, which is the Maasai high jump. And anybody who's seen Maasai jumping richly in their song and in their dance uh, knows that they they can spring from a standing position, which we up huge distances. And so um, we, we then put up a, a rope, and the, the young warriors contest for this. And it's quite, a, quite an event. You'll get 10,000 people around this, all cheering the, the warriors on in this jumping event. So it's a nice blend of field and track and, and Maasai-centric stuff. Along with the Maasai Olympics, the Predator Compensation Fund has also helped change attitudes towards lions. This scheme was set up to compensate livestock owners when a predator took one of their herd. At the heart of the scheme was the idea that if the owner was compensated, they wouldn't retaliate against the predator. And it's working. In 2017, even though 4,519 livestock were killed by predators, not a single lion lost its life in retaliation. The predator compensation scheme is also saving lions. Can you tell us a little bit about how that works? So yes, these two programs sort of work hand in glove. On one hand, we are, through the Maasai Olympics, telling people that, and the Maasai warriors in particular, that there are other activities to engage in. So if we look at a Maasai population or the Maasai nation, if you want to call them that, it's 2 million people, and we've got in Kenya maybe 2,000 lines. So this is clearly unsustainable. And we're getting that across, and the warriors are buying into it, as you said. For the occasional incident where lions get into the villages or into the crowds and tackle a livestock, then there's a, there's a sort of undercurrent of, of unhappiness that spreads. And I, I think it's actually reasonable to not expect as listeners communities who live closely to wildlife just to endure the pain of living next to wildlife so that we can appreciate it. Mm. And so the predator compensation scheme started some time ago. And this is basically uh, hinged on the fact that if you've got a cow and, and lions go in and kill that, that livestock cow go to whatever it might be, we'll pay. We'll pay market value for it. And uh, so nobody's ever in this sort of disgruntled mode of deficit. What we add to that is quite interesting and in that um, we pay every three months. So during that three months, there will be some livestock that are killed, and we offer an IOU. So the full compensation for everybody in the, in the group branch or a couple of group approaches in, in that area hinges on the fact that nobody then kills lions within that three-month period. If anybody goes out and kills a lion, then all those IOUs are null and void. So it's a sort of, you know, it's a incentive program as much as it is a compensation program such an excellent project and it seems to be getting some fabulous results so congratulations on being part of that you actually have a few projects on the go at the moment what are you most excited about that you have coming up <laughs> well yeah we are we're sort of all over the place <laughs> but um so a couple of years ago i was giving a talk and uh talking about lions and big cats and there's there's a guy in the back you know there's always a guy in the back and you try and avoid that question <laughs> And he stood up and he said, what are you doing about rhinos? And he sort of looked at each 
now go out and raise some money and find the partners around us and, and we raise enough to move the 100 rhinos from these very, very intensively poached pockets in, the, in South Africa. Now, we've moved about 80 of these animals so far. 17 have had babies already. And so the project is a success. So we're involved in that part now. And it's, and it's invigorating because uh, in, in one of these areas, we, we were driving on the other day and we saw something move in the grass. I thought it was a warthog. Mm. And of course, it was a baby rhino. And so you realize that, that you're busy piecing the mosaic back together again. You know, I think there's some missing pieces in conservation. And what Debbie and I try to do is find them and, and put them back in the puzzle. And, and this is a project that's certainly doing that. It's amazing to watch, especially when we see the footage of Rhino being moved by a helicopter. It's just phenomenal to see the effort and commitment that you guys have to make this happen. In fact, over the years, both you and Beverly have experienced enormous challenges. You've been attacked by elephants and buffalo. You've been bitten by deadly snakes. You personally have survived three plane crashes and you've had malaria at least four times. Are you a Terminator? How, how do you keep going? Your commitment has never wavered. <laughs> well, stated like that, I now feel a lot worse than I did earlier. <laughs> um, yeah, did all that happen? Yeah, I guess it did all happen. I think that the, you know, so I think that, that we live an extreme life. And, and in that, I've always found, found our passion. Um, I think that you can take the middle road and you can not do these extreme things. And most certainly I never went out trying to get knocked over by an elephant or a buffalo uh, or bitten by snakes and so on. But that's sort of just what happens in the lifestyle that we lead. I think that the, the things that, that actually destroy us are not these physical things, but the, the more emotional, I think, and uh, certainly psychological things that we have to go through. You know, so we've worked very hard to to save animals and to and to build these landscapes and and to, for example, be a voice in the stopping of hunting in, in various areas. And that hasn't always been popular. I mean, the plane crashes, some of them were sacrificed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then, if you see hunting reopened in certain areas, that's devastating and demoralising. But the way that we keep going. Is really because we we live a life of happiness and joy and we embrace love. I don't think that that Beverly and I would have been able to do this individually. It's because of our partnership that has made us so strong. Like we have this force field around us. But it's also an obsessive drive, I think, to, to save these places and these things that we care so much about, the big cats, the elephants, the rhinos, and the communities that we love and, and we enjoy working with. And I think that Coming out of the more recent buffalo attack, we've, you know, we both took quite a bit of damage in Beverly during that regard. In fact, she did die four times. Coming out of that, we were both faced with a choice of either retreating and, and living out the rest of our lives scared of, of hurt and death, or leaning forward into change gears and really speed up what we're doing and ramping it up because we don't have time to mess around with the little conversations anymore. We've got to lean forward into the bigger conversation, which is how we save this plant. That's what our drive is. That's what makes us wake up in the morning, and we're determined that 
That's so inspiring. Thank you so much for your time today, Derek. Really looking forward to seeing your new film. But in the meantime, I'll be posting links to how people can watch Tribe vs. Pride and also to how they can get amongst your projects. Uh, thank you very much. And I uh, can't wait to get you back out in the bush. Oh, I can't show you some of the new stuff we're getting involved in. I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> Now, if you'd like to get involved with any of Derek and Beverly's projects, you most certainly can do that. To start with, you can look up the Big Cats Initiative on National Geographic and check out www.greatplainsconservation.com. You can also follow both Derek and Beverly on Instagram and Twitter or find them together on Facebook at Derek and Beverly Big Cat Conservation. I'll put up all the links on faunographic.com so you won't miss a thing. Catch you next time. Wild Lives by Phonographic. Follow us on Omni.fm or search for Wild Lives by Phonographic on iTunes. Subscribe today and you'll never miss an episode.